Hey there, and welcome to episode 184 of the Food Biz Whiz podcast. Today, we welcome in former Retail Ready students, Julie Sullivan and Carolyn Cesario, the co-owners of Ground Up PDX. In this show, we're going to talk through their experience and their best practices for doing co-branded collaborations with celebrities and for living their social mission with Ground Up PDX. So if you're a brand who has a mission behind your food business and you want others to help you spread the word, keep on listening to today's episode. Let's get right to it. I'm Allie Ball, former grocery buyer and retail store manager turned wholesale consultant. In my role on the retail floor, I saw delicious, values-driven brands fail on our shelves simply because they didn't understand the behind the scenes of wholesale. I created the Food Biz Whiz podcast to give you hard-to-access insight from my career in the food industry and the tools and strategies to help you succeed on retail shelves. If you're a committed food founder who's looking to create and grow a packaged products business that positively impacts our food system, puts wealth back into your own hands, and employs members of your local community, you have found the right podcast. Let's do this. This episode is supported by Retail Ready, our course, coaching, and community for packaged products brands who want to land on more wholesale shelves and have high sales once you're there. You are in luck. We are inviting you to jumpstart your enrollment and join us today. No wait list, no watching the educational masterclass, no sales call required. If you know you need the support in building systems for sustainable success, plus a community to hold you accountable and expert tailored advice from me and my team, consider this your official invite. Click through to the information and enrollment page linked in our show notes, read through our robust FAQs to ensure that you are the right fit, and join us in a matter of minutes. I'll see you soon inside of Retail Ready. Welcome to the show, Julie and Carol. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm excited. And it's been a while since we've had multiple guests on the show at the same time. So I'm going to do my best to moderate so that we don't just talk over each other, but I'll kick off this episode by thanking our listeners for your patience, as I'm sure we're going to do a little bit of, um, there'll be a little bit of run around as we've got three folks on the show today. But I think we're up to it. So let's kick off with some intros. I imagine there might be some listeners out there who don't know what Ground Up PDX is and what you guys do over there. So Julie, how about I ask you first, can you tell us what is Ground Up and what is your role at the company? Yeah, we started Ground Up in 2016 with a vision to employ women overcoming adversity. And we make delicious, premium, high quality nut butters and have a bunch of unique flavors. And my role at Ground Up, I lead sales and partnerships in addition to our workforce development and impact side of our business, which we'll get into more later. Great. Okay. And so, Carolyn, you're the co founder. Were you guys co founders since from day one? Or did you did one of you come on later? We've been co-founders from day one, I guess. I, I mean, technically, as it stands ground up, we've been co-founders. But Julie had a separate business she was working on before we met called Breath of Fresh Air. And so uh, she was looking for a product for her job training program. And I happened to be making nut butters as a side hustle for my full-time job. And yeah, we just met at the right time. She needed a product. I had one that I, 
I wasn't feeling compelled enough to make into a product unless it had more of a mission behind it. So it was really fate that we met when we did. Great. Okay. And so then what do you, what's your day-to-day like in ground up at this point? I handle all of our product development, marketing, and e-com, and then some finance oversight as well. Okay, great. So it sounds like you guys have pretty clear division of labor in your roles. And I gosh, I feel like we could do a whole podcast episode on co-founders and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. But I imagine I imagine that that's one of the keys to your success that you're super, super clear on on who does what. Yeah. Absolutely. It helps that Carolyn's like, Julie, go ahead to all the networking events, all the things. And I'm like, don't make me look at spreadsheets. Just tell me if it's a good opportunity. So we are definitely a great mix in that way. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and Julie, you were the one who joined us in Retail Ready. I had to go back and look at the stats. You joined us in June of 2020. So almost two and a half years ago. Before we get into this, this podcast episode today, can you tell our listeners, just like give us a flat flashback of what things felt like in June of 2020 for you and and how they feel like how they feel right now. Yeah, it's crazy to think that that was back June 2020 when we were in the beginning and unknowns of the pandemic and I'm super yeah. grateful for the retail ready community at that time when we were like how are we going to be successful at grocery stores demos or like how we move product, how we get the word out to customers. So it was a bit of a scary and unknown time and an amazing time to have this new community of so many people who understood very similar challenges. So for us, we feel really grateful since that time, we actually moved into our own production and warehouse space. It's 5,200 square feet. And that was an incredible dream of ours, like five years into business to have our own space, have a supportive environment for the women that we work with and to have our own office. Carolyn and I worked off of like forklifts and pallets as our desks in a big like shared warehouse for so many years. So that's really like our biggest win to date um, since 2020. And we launched at Whole Foods in Northern California. So to get some of that bigger expansion outside of Oregon and Washington has been really big for us. Yeah, that's huge. Oh my gosh. I I can only imagine the feeling that first day of walking into your own production facility just being like, we've we've made it. We've made this big, big step. Congratulations. That's really exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves on days where you're like, oh, you know, we should be farther. We should have this. But that is such a big like reminder of how far we've come. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys do big things at ground up. So I want to talk about collaborations. And when I think about your brand, the first thing that comes to mind, well, I guess two things, the social mission and the collaborations, both of those things hold equal space in my mind. And I know we see a lot of retail ready brands who try to do collaborations and they, you know, for lack of better word, they, they just kind of flop. And I have so much respect for the big collaborations and little collaborations that you guys do. So can we jump right in and start talking about some of these successful collaborations and what they look like? Okay. Yeah. So I know we're going to talk about a collaboration that's just launched, but before we do, I want to talk about the history of your collaborations and how you get these big name people to say yes to doing flavors with you. Like I know that you had Molly Yeh do a flavor with you. Mm -hmm. I mean, for our listeners who are like, how do I get celebrities to know who I am and to say yes to doing things? How how do you do that? What does it look like? 
Oh man. Well, thank you for all of the compliments in that regard. Cause it's been, um, it was actually something we started during COVID. So going back to like that June of 2020 as a way of getting in front of new customers and trying to drive online sales in like an uncertain time. And so the first year we started doing it, it felt, you know, a little, a little bit of like just an experiment. We're like, we're going to put it out there to a few folks who we already have really good relationships with. We really wanted to prioritize people who already loved our mission um, that we knew would share about us in a genuine way and that we didn't have to get into like um, the technicalities of like a contract and agreeing to like, you have to promote it this much. And I don't know, some of that can feel um, a little forced, I guess. And so for us, we've never had a marketing budget. We've done everything at our business as scrappy as possible. Like even our labels are designed by like me with the help of a a graphic designer on the side of it. But we really have, yeah, tried to do everything we can in like as scrappy of a way possible. So when we thought about how do we drive folks to our website in a time where we want to drive online sales, it really came down to, well, what are our strengths? And for us, we do all our own manufacturing in-house. And with our training program, we really do want to provide as many hours of work as we can. So by introducing new products, that's ultimately more hours for our team, Mm. ultimately more women that we can employ. So it was kind of like a no-brainer for us that, well, why wouldn't we explore new products and focus on combining forces with influencers or brands who are already have a following? It's something that they can bring to their audience and tell them like their customers are going to be really excited for something that they can do to support them. And for us, it's getting in front of a new audience as well. So it felt like a win-win and we started with some of the, I wouldn't even say smaller influencers, but just folks who already, like we said, knew us and were excited, started working with them and dreaming up. We like asked them to design their dream flavor. And then I spent, you know, hours like tinkering in the kitchen, trying to bring all these little samples to life, sent it, sent them to them. There's a lot of like back and forth involved in that regard. And then ultimately they align on one that they're excited about. And then we, we pick a month and launch the flavor. Um, we are, <laughs> I would not recommend this, but we do monthly flavor launches. So every single month is a new opportunity oh to get in front of a new audience with a collaboration flavor. Um, it's a lot of work. <laughs> I'll just say that. I, that's, I'm like, if, if someone can see the recording of me right now, I'm like rubbing my <laughs> eyes, <laughs> like my temples because 12 new flavors a year is a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. So we did start, we started repeating flavors that do really well, like our okay. Malier flavor. That's been huge. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a flavor of love for sure, but we found it works for us. And I think it would work for a lot of other brands though. I would recommend quarterly maybe to start or, or just one a year. Um, but yeah, I guess you were asking about the Molly Yay collab. That was definitely, I would say our biggest to date. And she has been Mm -hmm. such an amazing person to work with. Um, for those of you who don't. Yeah, go ahead. Tell, tell us like who she is. is. Yeah. Yeah. Who is she? If people aren't as, um, I don't know, deep in food celebrities as we yeah, exactly. who, who is she and why should we care yes so molly Ye is a food network star she has a show a girl meets farm on food network and she's also a cookbook author of two cookbooks i believe and has had a food blog for since like 2010 or something so i was one of you know she was one of the og food bloggers that i used to listen to or read um, back in the day and so it's it was just like a dream of mine to work with her before we even started ground up she was just an idol of mine so super full circle moment to be working with her. And gosh, I'm trying to remember our first connection to her, but I think, you know, probably most brands do this on Instagram, but just trying any chance you can like in DM different influencers or celebrities and try and get your product in their hands. So you're just 
I mean, we've done that so many times, reaching out to everyone from like Julie's big dream of Lizzo and Reese Witherspoon. And like, she, she will like literally message anyone. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, so I think we just started reaching out and finally Molly responded after many messages and tried our products and became a fan. And, and that's important. Like we want someone to try them first before we pitch them on anything and make sure that they actually like them and they share about them and they're excited. Mm. Um, and I think at that point, since we'd already done a handful of collaborations, we had proved that we could do these successfully and take that to her team and say, Hey, look what we've done. We'd love to do this with you. What would that look like? Um, hers was a lot more like getting on calls with her agents. Whereas in the past, we had just been working directly with these smaller influencers who it was just, there was no formal contracts. It was very like, you know, it was just scrappier. <laughs> and so yeah. working with someone like Molly is great. She, she was, I would say she actually gave quite more input than a lot of other folks who was, who we work with more like the agents. She was great, but it was signing the contract, going through all of like more of the hoops and committing to like, this is how many times you're going to post and all that. And she has just blown us away with her support. And then she even wanted to relaunch the flavor again, a year later to coincide with her cookbook launch, which was something we weren't expecting, but was great. Cause again, for her, it's her customers get really excited about it and are sharing a lot. And as a result, she's getting promotion from that too. So, yeah. Can I, I'm going to ask a, a question about it. And if you don't feel like, com- feel comfortable with it, we'll just take this off the recording. Mm-hmm. But when you do these collaborations, do you split revenue with the, the, the collaborator or do you keep it yourself? So we have structured these all to be commission-based so that they get mm-hmm. a percent of sales. Um, yeah, we found that that's the best way just because it incentivizes them to continue to promote as well. Um, but yeah, and every deal has been structured like slightly differently, but yeah, definitely commission-based is the way to go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it gives them incentive to to talk it up, right? What? Yeah. In a way, like what good would it do to have Molly do a flavor with you unless she talks about it to her network. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I hear it. I hear that it works for a couple of reasons. One, it works because you have your own production facility, mm-hmm. right? And at the heart of it, yeah. that is really important that you can produce all of these limited runs or these, these, uh, you know, smaller batch or seasonal flavors mm-hmm. that you have the team in place who wants more hours mm-hmm. so that people, you actually have the, the, um, the labor to produce these, these runs. And that in itself is tied directly to your mission of, em- mm-hmm. of employing women. And then number three is that when you are, when you are looking to do collaborations, you have this proven history of working mm-hmm successfully with people and you make sure that that potential collaborator knows you, likes you, trusts you, loves your product before you even ask them to collaborate. Did I Mm -hmm. follow that, that, um, that correctly? Definitely. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. And I think anyone that would be interested in trying this out, I would, I would say start small because there's going to be kinks to the process. Like, so the more that you're just working with people who feel like lower risk, the better. Yeah. 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 Julie, who's your, who's your next dream person who you're itching to, to collaborate with? How can with? she choose? She has such a long list. I mean, such a long list. Lizzo is definitely up there. <laughs> I'm not sure if she uh, listens but, to the Food Biz Wiz podcast, but uh, we're, we're if she's listening. <laughs> yes. I feel like, yeah, for me, it's like doing sales and not taking no for an answer and knowing that like, okay, we probably have to reach out to like hundreds of people. And that's like another piece of advice is like, you reach out to 10 people, 
you might not even hear from one, but you got to reach out to a hundred and hope to hear back maybe from a couple. So Mm. anytime I have like an inspiration or think of someone, I'm just like, what do I have to lose? Send them an Instagram message. So I'm also a big uh, Peloton rider. And so I have some Peloton instructors that I've been applying Mm. as well for a collaboration. No responses yet, but... Okay, okay. Well, I mean, I'm just... I'll say, you know, it kind of bothered me you, you probably know this, but like Allie love when she would talk about affordable peanut butter and every time she talks about like, you know, the affordable kind of peanut butter. And I just want to yell back through the screen and talk to her about (laughs) the price of nuts and the price of producing nut butter. So, uh, maybe you could do some sort of special collaboration with Allie love and talk about (laughs) pricing of production of high quality products. I I also wish that you could talk to them through the screen, by the way. (laughs) Right, right. So tell me about a, tell me about a collaboration that hasn't worked so well. Or like, what are some of the challenges that come up when you do collaborations? I think one of the biggest challenges is when um, whoever we're working with really doesn't promote it, which Mm. happens. Like even sometimes if we structure a contract that says you have to do X posts or whatever, if you can, I feel like the audience can feel when it's not genuine and when it, when it feels obligatory. And there were honestly only two to three people I can think of that felt like that, where they did the bare minimum to promote it, but nothing more. And there wasn't like as much hype. Like we, we find the collaborations that are best are when someone's actually like on their stories, like you guys, you have to try this. It's so good. Da, da, da. And also like there's this mission and let me tell you about it. Um, but some people don't even mention our mission or just, you know, do one launch post and that's kind of it. And we find you need a lot more like consistent promotion because someone might miss that one, one post. So that's always disappointing. And we do what we can to preempt that, but sometimes we found you can't control influencers as much as you'd like. <laughs> Is there anything that you that you think that you can do to filter or like how could you prevent that or or at least try to mitigate that a bit as you're thinking about future collaborations? One thing that we started doing, it sounds small, but it's getting on a call with an influencer before mm-hmm. we're gonna work with them. Like doing everything via email sometimes can leave room for um I don't know, maybe they aren't as excited or like we don't have a chance to really like capture them with our story and how amazing we are. So, you know, getting on a call can really like level set and also get us to vet. Okay, if they're willing to even get on, spare a half an hour for a call, that means they're actually probably interested in this and would actually want to promote. And you can also start to brainstorm more and understand like, well, what are the biggest platforms for you? And how can we use those to leverage like and promote this? So I think one small step to just show their buy-in basically. Um, Yeah. And... I think, yeah, there was one other time where we were, we thought we were partnering with an influencer and she ended up kind of spinning it at the last minute and really using her brand as the platform, which had far less of a following and she never promoted it. So that was kind of a sneaky one that now we make a point to clarify, like who was the collaboration really with. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll leave it at that, but um, <laughs> yeah, without the dropping just, all the, all the yeah, names. Exactly. Yeah. The more we yeah. can do our due diligence upfront. Um, and connect mm-hmm. with them, especially in on the phone, the better. Yeah. yeah. And what I what I keep thinking as you're talking is that it you're almost uh, like in the best way you're removing the emotion from it, and it's really just uh, it sounds like it's an experiment of of what 
can go really well or like, what are the possibilities when you're doing these collaborations? What works well? What do you need to change for next time? And it's just mm-hmm. all a learning process for ground up. Totally. Yeah. And with that, one of the challenges is that sometimes we, it's hard to predict which flavors will do really well. And it can be regardless of the influencer, it could be a great influencer, but maybe the flavor doesn't do well for whatever reason. Um, typically that's not the case, but anyways, it's, it's hard to predict. And so sometimes we get these flavors that do really well and sell it immediately. And then we're like, shoot, we have to produce more. Sorry. Um, so we're scrambling behind the scenes because we, you know, underestimated how much it was going to sell out. So it's, that's the challenge, just forecasting. Um, since ideally we want the flavors to last for a month, but a month can look very different depending on that sell food. So Totally. And you know, my like data brain is like, okay, how can we use like spins data or like Nielsen data to figure out what flavors are trending and like, how can we use that to predict, to predict sales? But it's, it gets complicated. Exactly. And I'm, I'm sure there's only mm-hmm. so much uh, analysis you can do. So yep. before we talk about your latest collaboration, I just want to clarify, do you ever sell your collaborations through your wholesale accounts or is it only direct to consumer? So we do not sell to larger grocery stores just because of the lead time that's needed, as you know, and many listeners know, um, in addition to like UPC, some of the barcode stipulations, and just the cost, like our seasonal flavors typically cost more for us to produce. And at wholesale, we're already taking that lower margin. But something that we have started to do is offer them on fair. Mm. and to more of our smaller local boutique stores. So that's really a way too. We like to surprise and delight customers. And we have so many boutique stores across the country that love Ground Up and are such great supporters. And that type of unique flavor could sit so well on their shelf. So that's something more recently that now on the FAIR platform, and then also just through our like orders at local boutique stores, we'll sell them. Yep. And that makes sense too. It's a smaller store that can manage the operations of swapping out uh, a limited run product and things like that. Cool. Great. Yes. Okay. Tell me about your latest collaboration. You guys don't know this, but it came out on my birthday. So I kind of feel like it was a, I don't know, a birthday present to myself <laughs> to get to try this flavor. This flavor How did you celebrate. know? That's why we designed it. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Tell us, brag a little bit about your your latest collaboration. Yes, of course. Um, we are super excited to partner with Liz Moody. So for those of you who don't know Liz, she's a, just like a wellness expert. At this point, she used to be a journalist and she worked for Mind Body Green for years. And side note, she was actually one of the first people to ever interview us at Ground Up and promoted our mission cool. and did a really great piece. So kind of a, another full circle moment having her do a collaboration with us. But She's been a fan of our products and she was actually telling me she's been gifted a bunch by other folks we've worked with. Um, And so she came up with her dream flavor, which is strawberry black pepper. It sounds crazy, but it is like deliciously good, savory and sweet and really healthy as well. Um, So that launched on February 16th, aka Ellie's birthday. (laughs) (laughs) And we're super excited about it. I think um, Liz said it's the best flavor she's tried of any of our products. And she's wow. like, I've tried them all. Trust me. Um, and we've gotten a great response so far. Yeah. Yeah. And how long, how long had that been in the works before launch? 
let's see, at least six months, uh, probably closer to nine months actually, which okay. is wild to say aloud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A long time. A okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these aren't just collaborations that you're launching, you know, within the month, they're like a long drawn out process. So I have to imagine, you know, the collaborations that are happening for, I don't know, the next couple months from now, right? You just, they're just under wraps. Exactly. Yeah. Theoretically, we have our flavor calendar mapped out for the next year, but there's always like room to change things around if something comes up, which is perfect. Like we like to stay as flexible as we can, but yeah, some of them take longer, especially like in this case, she sent along three different dream flavor ideas. And so we made up a bunch of samples with different versions of all three. And there was a lot of back and forth to really like nail this, which I appreciate. Like she has such a commitment to what ingredients she wants to use and the quality of product she'd stand behind. So, um, but some of them could be done quicker too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, well, I'm so excited for it. And I'm really excited about the timing of you guys coming on the podcast so that we can celebrate right alongside you. Depending on, I mean, we'll see how much inventory you have left when the episode goes live. But of course, we'll be, make sure to link all of that, all of that info up in our show notes so people can uh, click on through, check out all of your, your collabs and maybe get their hands on the strawberry peppercorn flavor. Great. Mm-hmm. Strawberry black pepper. Wanted strawberry to say pink. Black. Yeah. I wanted to say pink peppercorn. Okay. Strawberry black pepper. All right. Can we talk about the business model though and how it ties in? And we kind of alluded to this, how it ties into the collaborations, but you guys use this phrase, not just for profit business. And I think it's important for our, our listeners to understand what that means and, you know, the, your, your unique model. Which one of you wants to talk more about Ground Up's model? Julie? I'll chat about it. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, Ground Up is unique generally when we started that we started with a mission and that in mind before a product even existed as Caroline was alluding to at the beginning. So I had been living in Uganda and I was overseeing a job training program there for women and moved home and wanted to do something similar in my hometown. But to touch on the, yeah, not just for profit. So really at the center of that is that our mission is our highest priority and that the product sales are used to be able to fuel that Mm -hmm. mission. So we're not a not for, you know, we're not a nonprofit. Um, we really believe that business can be a powerful tool for social good. And so instead of spending our energy raising money to live out this mission, we're able to use our platform of production, um, which is a huge piece in teaching job skills and confidence. And that's um, on the on the daily. That is what you know. We're opening the doors and providing opportunities to women to fill a gap in their resume um, for whatever reason they may be out of the workforce, whatever adversities they may be facing, and to be able to have a reference, which is huge, um, specifically for a lot of the individuals that we work with that may have been out of the workforce for anywhere from like six months up to five to 10 years based on circumstances. And that's just a huge barrier. Um, In addition to any criminal background record, um, that can really be a huge barrier to entering the workforce. Yeah. What sort of things do you have to have in place to provide that extra support or training or or resources on, on the job, especially because you own your own production facility? 
Yeah, absolutely. So there's all of, you know, the pieces around food safety that we're training all of our employees on, but really the biggest piece is around one-on-one mentorship uh, and coaching that takes place. Um, So we have monthly workshops that we're doing on topics like budgeting, credit, communication. Um, We cover a whole gamut and switch off every month, whether it's taught within our team internally, or sometimes we'll bring outside volunteers. And really a lot of the the coaching that happens one-on-one is around helping individuals reach towards their goals. So whatever that may may be. For someone, it might not be full-time permanent employment after ground up, but we're really meeting each person where they're at. In addition to, we do job readiness evaluation assessment. So similar Mm. to another company where you may do an evaluation, a review with an employee, we're doing those monthly and they're very intensive. So we're really looking at each of these different skills, things such as attendance, communication, some of these basic job skill pieces that without those, it's really hard to gain and retain employment. So we're really diving into each of those areas. Um, And each month we're ranking individuals um, in that regard and seeing where some of their gaps are and how we can work towards that. And the difference with us is that someone is not fired if they are not meeting expectations Mm. in these areas on a monthly basis. We really are using ground up as a platform of teaching those job skills. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I'm almost like speechless because it sounds so it sounds hard, Julie. It, it sounds is. like a lot of work. <laughs> it's a business and like a social work set, you know, as well. Yeah, yeah. because I mean, you know, we, we all know like running a food business is hard enough. And then to add on this social mission that is also challenging, you are taking on really, really important work. But it just, it sounds hard sitting here on the other end. We always yeah. joke that we started two businesses in one. And we're like, that was not smart in retrospect though. I mean, it's been working great, but there were years where it was really challenging yeah. and taxing on the mm-hmm. two of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and especially. I think, I think we've learned over time to some of the challenges that we face mm-hmm. with this job training program and how to mitigate them as the business grows as well. And I've been really fortunate this past year to be part of a group for employment social enterprises, which is technically what Ground Up falls under. So it's businesses that are um, employing individuals facing barriers to enter the workforce. And I've been really grateful for that community to know, one, we're not alone in some of the challenges that we face with this work. And two, we've been able to balance out our team a bit more. We used to say like outside of Carolyn and I, anyone we employ is a woman overcoming adversity. And as we've grown, learning how we can balance that out to make it sustainable for the business has been really helpful um, and building in a little bit more cushion for no-shows for employees that don't show up every day. So we've built in some of those cushions so that our managers aren't burning out or the weight doesn't fall on the person who does show up every day. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I'm sure those are, 
those are things that you just, you don't know until you get into it, right? You you don't know where mm-hmm. you're going to have the challenges in one of your businesses that impacts challenges in, in the other side of things. But I think it's so interesting that you said like nut butters is just the, the vehicle here. You could be producing, I don't know. I'm like mattresses. Sugar cubes. Hey, that was my first idea. Don't get a sugar cubes. <laughs> sugar no cubes. Shut up. I hope no. Some sugar cubes. <laughs> yeah, we have one retail ready student who makes like cocktail sugar cubes. And she, I mean, she's on the East Coast, but um, gosh, you got to sell a lot of sugar cubes to support a socially backed business as well, right? Gosh. Okay. So you've got both of these, you basically have two businesses. That's the conclusion of, <laughs> of today's today's show. You've got two businesses. <laughs> and is there anything else that was has been really important for you as you think about managing these two businesses and a business that is so mission driven? What else is important to you? What I other mean, oh go ahead. Um, I think when we, when we were getting started, like the first few years, we did treat them. They felt separate. It was like, what is the training program? What should that look like? What resources does it need? And then what, you know, what the product piece felt separate from that. Um, but the more that we've grown, the more that I think we're trying to look at it holistically, um, and realizing that a lot of the challenges we face with our production facility and John job training is actually challenges that a lot of manufacturers face. And how do we just level set? And if anything, use the fact that we are preparing folks for other jobs in food manufacturing facilities, should they choose to do that? Like, how can we equip them with all the tools that, that they can get? Whereas before it was like, okay, you're making nut butter, but like, really it's about the mentorship you're getting on the side or the coaching or whatever, like the, the wraparound support that we provided. But now we're, we're trying to lean in more to like, okay. And also if you want, you could actually stay at ground up. You could get promoted to work here. If that's something that you choose and we have a job open, like really trying to carve out those paths more and trying to make it not as hard as on ourselves as we did in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like in the beginning, it was really like you work here six months and then we help you move on to your next stage, which was yeah. where, where so much of the work came for us. Right. Um, we always talk about that, right? Like the hiring and the initial training is so mm-hmm. labor or so like resource intensive. And so if you're just having, mm-hmm. you know, turnover, which in a way you would celebrate, right? Because someone after six months would be ready for that exactly. next thing, which is a celebration. And yet it's, it, ends up creating a hole in your organization every six months. Exactly. Yeah. We find that there's there's a lot of power too. in those individuals that do stay on at ground up because they're then able to be role models and mentors for other women who are just joining the training program. And that's just a beautiful part of our culture that we're trying to create in that positive, encouraging, inclusive space someone coming in who may have really low confidence and be like, how in the world am I going to move out of this shelter? How in the world am I going to maintain a job and being able to have examples of other women who like, wow, six months ago, you were in my shoes and just that connection and community has been really powerful to witness and something now that is integrated into our model of the opportunity to stay on at ground up. Totally. So how many people, how many women have worked with you? We've had close to 70 women who have worked with us. Oh my gosh. Since we started. 70. Yeah. That's 70. huge. Yeah. 
crazy. And to think about, think about the ripple effect there too. I mean, 70 women who are gaining confidence and job skills, and then they go out and, you know, directly impact their communities. It impacts their families. I mean, it, it touches way more than 70 women. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll typically have eight to 10 women at a time that are in our job training program. And we currently have four permanent employees that were graduates of our training program that are still on our team. Gotcha. I've got a question and our audience, I bet it, I bet this is what our audience is thinking right now. They're like, okay, cool. So you've got this really, really important mission in your company, but Allie always says (laughs) it's not the mission that sells our products. Mm -hmm. And wholesale buyers don't really care about the mission. We've got to tell them about the sales stats and how they're going to succeed on shelf and all of that sort of stuff. So this is your opportunity. I'm actually, I'm really curious as a company who is is so, so clear on your mission and so successful with it, frankly, what do you think? Why, why are people buying your product? Is it because of the mission or is it because your nut butters are just so freaking delicious? What is it? Um, I'll take that one, sorry. So <laughs> yeah, we, we're both, both probably eager to answer because we have this down. I mean, basically from the beginning, we made such a point that our product had to be the reason people bought it. Like we wanted our mission to be the secondary support. And I do believe the reason people continued to come back and told their friends about it. But ultimately the product had to speak for itself because yeah. I think we also, both coming from like social enterprise worlds before this had seen great missions, but products that weren't that exciting or I don't know, felt kind of cringy to be frank. And so mm-hmm. we really wanted a product that felt like it could stand on its own if need be. And then again, that secondarily, the mission is going to be a reason people really spread the word about it. Um, yeah. But Julie, I'm sure could speak more to the wholesale buyer piece of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carol, thank you for just adding that perspective too, though, because if the product isn't good. I mean, if the product is not delicious, people are not going to buy it over and over again, even if they love your mission, right? Especially, mm-hmm. especially a product that's consumable, right? Exactly. We, yeah. we want it to be delicious. Julie, what mm-hmm. do you think? What's your take on that? Yeah. I Grocery buyers are a, a tricky one and <laughs> it really depends on who we're speaking to. If yeah. it is a woman buyer, I much more know that the mission or a male buyer that has daughters, sometimes I get like, Ooh, Mm. like surprise um, at how they connect with the mission. And that that does really matter. I do think that with our price point selling nut butters at 1599, like that's a hard price point to swallow for grocery buyers, even at a wholesale price. So our mission is often tied in. Yes. Quality of product but also the mission piece ties in sometimes as well to justify like, okay, why, why is your price point where it is? And I, I do believe that changing in a positive way that there is more care around mission and women owned BIPOC owned businesses than there ever was before. And that is kind of a critical piece to getting on shelves. At least I've found more recently and we're, you know, we're working too to be able to tie in for stores like, hey, we get into your 50 stores at X predicted of velocity. This is the impact that X store is having on yeah. women's lives. 
and yeah. saying like, Hey, we're happy for you to share that story to, um, you know, market and share that someone's purchase and how your store is a part of that greater impact. So I feel that's something that I used to do more of. And it was kind of like, sometimes went flat and was like, okay, I got to just like go hard on the quality of the product and on my stats. And I feel more now excited that genuinely that is something that, um, is more, more cared about. Yeah, I've we've seen a big shift in that, you know, frankly, since 2020 or so, you know, um, after George Floyd's murder and then Black Lives mm-hmm. Matters movement, like that really was the tipping point. I feel like it was the tipping point in, in grocery where people are like, oh, maybe we should give minority owned f- food business owners uh, a better chance on our shelves. Maybe we should care about that more than just velocity and margin. And so, Julie, I think you're right there that it is that like th- there's that balance where of course that buyer is not going to, that wholesale buyer is not going to give that shelf space to a product that doesn't sell at all, right? Like each little slot on the shelf is like rented real estate. And if it doesn't sell at all, there's only so long that buyer can can have it on the shelf. But to, I don't know, for you guys, it's almost like a win-win, right? Your products sell really well and they support this mission. So it's it's a win-win for that wholesale buyer. Absolutely. And I do think that sometimes when we're making negotiations around free fills or around opportunities for off-shelf placement, that's a great time when that mission can come into play. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I got them. They're going to bring in the product. Product stands for itself, the quality, all the other attributes. But then in terms of receiving support from the store, that's another time that you know I'm often trying to tie in the mission piece. Mm, that's super smart. I like that strategy. You you get on the shelf and then you're like, and by the way, will you give us this end cap to support our mission? It's <laughs> great. Totally. <laughs> okay. I've got two questions left for you guys. First, tell me what's, without revealing too much, what is, what's next for Ground Up? What are you guys focused on as we head towards the spring? Yeah, we're launching at a big new retailer mm-hmm. um, with with like 350 stores um, this May. So we're really excited. We're actually going to be trialing out a new jar size at a lower price point. So that is something I will be back in touch on retail ready (laughs) and let you know how it goes. So it's a risk for us, but something that in order to kind of try to enter the conventional grocery market a bit more, it's something that we're going to trial out. So yeah. that's super well, exciting. Keep us posted there. We'll be happy to celebrate with you on our social medias and, and stuff like that. Um, so that was just Julie. Carol, is there anything that you're excited about this spring? Um, lots more exciting flavors to come. So okay. All um, right. trying to do more with chocolate flavors this year because we have heard that customers are loving them. And we currently don't have one in the flavor lineup. So stay tuned. Something um, chocolatey. Great. Yes. And we're working on squeeze packs as well. So we we launched those with yes. one flavor and we hope to be launching with a second later this year. Nice. I love a squeeze pack for nut butters. I think that's super yes. smart. Yeah, okay. we just found it yeah. so valuable at a lower price point. That was something we also launched during COVID mm-hmm. and realized like, okay, at $15.99, that's challenging when we can't be doing in-store demos. So squeeze packs are great marketing outreach to be able to hand them out at events on the store shelf, people can try them at a lower price point and then 
be more apt to spend the dollars on the jar. Totally. It's so much easier to drive trial of a little squeeze pack than a $15 jar of nut butter, right? It's smart. I'm glad you guys did that. Okay. Last question. How can our listeners keep in touch? Where can they find you? Um, so our website is groundupdx.com. Head over there and sign up for our newsletter list where that's the, the easiest way to stay up to date on all things Ground Up. You can also go to our Instagram, which is our handles groundupdx. Um, we do have a TikTok, although <laughs> can't say we're the best <laughs> to run that. If anybody is great with TikTok and wants to reach out, looking for help. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, that's, that's the best. We also have a butter ambassador program for brand ambassadors. So if you're interested, you can check that out on our website too. Very cool. Thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast today. I, I love having the opportunity to talk, talk with you. And I love knowing more about your mission. I, I feel like I knew it on a superficial level and it's so great to hear it straight from your mouths and, and real, really feel more connected to that. So thank you. Thank you for sharing today. It was great having you on the podcast. Thanks for having us, Allie. Thank you so much for catching this extra special episode today, my whizzes. So we had been receiving so many questions around how to manage that balance between your social mission and your operations, as well as how to approach co-branded collaborations, how to get grocery buyers and consumers on board with your mission. So I'm hoping that this episode was especially rewarding to you. And thanks again to Carolyn and Julie for joining us today. It was such a fun conversation. And like I said, you can find their website, their social media, and all of the resources that we talked about today linked in our full show notes as well. So as always, let's continue the conversation. Join me over on Instagram. That's where I hang out the most. I'm at It's Ali Ball or in our Food Biz Wiz Facebook group linked in the show notes. I would love to hear your thoughts on today's show. And I'm curious if you have tried Ground Up PDX nut butters as well. They are so delicious. And now you know all about the mission that they support as well. So thank you as always for listening. And we will see you right back here next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Food Biz Wiz. If you're enjoying this podcast and the tools it gives you for growing your packaged product business, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. From one small business owner to another, I am deeply grateful for your support of this podcast, and I appreciate it when you share it with your fellow food founders, share it on social media, or leave me a review on your listening platform. Ready for more? Find out how we can work together at foodbizwiz.com. I'll see you right back here next week.